0: Thank you, Richard, and it's so good to be here. Um, had a smooth flight over yesterday and the Lord uh, gave me opportunity to study and had some even some opportunities to witness on the way, which we're always looking for. Just as the airplane was getting ready to leave two hours late, uh, someone got on the plane. Before sharing with you that, though, maybe we should, I'd like to just ask the Lord's special blessing on our meeting. Sometimes I get started and I forget till I'm five minutes in. I always like to open before reading the first text. And are both of these being used to record, or is one a PA system? This one's a PA system. Well, I'll, I'm going to uh, permit me to kneel as I ask the Lord to be with us here as we open the Bible. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray in a special way that Your Holy Spirit will guide tonight. You know that I have nothing to share that is worth anything unless You speak through Your Word to us tonight. You know that we cannot receive a blessing unless the Holy Spirit gives it. And so we bow humbly before You asking for Your Holy Spirit to give us the blessings we so desperately need. Lord, I am sure that there is at least one soul, maybe many, who because of tonight will be in heaven or not be there, depending on how we receive the word that you have for us. I pray for those who listen to the message on tape, help us to realize the seriousness of life and eternal life and that this life is soon to end and if we are not ready for heaven we we've have, we have lost everything and so lord i pray that you will help us tonight to have our eyes opened not just to the things of this life but to eternity and how it is that we might that we might be saved we pray in jesus name amen I'd like to share tonight how it is that we can be saved, and I'd like to look over five steps to salvation, as I was saying, as I was getting on the, as I was waiting for the airplane to take off from Newark, New Jersey, to uh, Gatewick. Uh, We were two hours late, and an hour and a half after we were supposed to take off, someone got on the airplane. Evidently, they were looking for a way to London, from New York, and so they came, and this plane hadn't left yet, so they bought their ticket and got on and sat down. About 20 minutes later, though, the ticket agent came and called his name. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of people on there, 747, We just, and it was full, but he happened to put his luggage right above, right above where we were sitting. Although he was sitting someplace else, he had to find a place to put his luggage, so he came right by where we are, and he was ta- they were talking. And he said, my uh, uh, credit card is bad. He, he said, it's a very bad credit card. So after he left, the steward um, got on the PA system and said that he had used a stolen credit card for which he would already collected $20,000 of, uh, of uh, charges. And the police were there waiting for him. Well, you know, we don't always get caught in this life. He happened to get caught but I want to tell you whether we get caught in this life or not, the wages of sin are... What sin sin uh, does not pay, does it? At least it doesn't pay good. It pays bad. As somebody said, the wages of sin is death, isn't it? There is a record being taken of our lives. I wish that our eyes could be opened every morning as we get up to see that there is a recording angel... A recording angel that is recording our thoughts, our words, our deeds for that day. And someday our life record has to be met again, doesn't it? Unless those sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus, unless they've been overcome. We have a television program in the States. And one uh, evening, we're on Thursday evenings, a lady called up just before the television program. And she said, how do you overcome something that you can't overcome? I talked to her for a little bit and I finally asked her, I said, is what you're struggling with something that affects your family? She said, yes, it does. I said, are you committing adultery? She said, yes, I am. I said, do you love your husband? Oh, she says, I love him very much. I said, do you have children? She said, yes, I have two children. I love them too. I said, well, you know... The Bible says you cannot love two masters. You're going to eventually love the one and hate the other or serve the one and despise the other. You're going to end up one day in divorce if you continue. She says, I know that. And she says, I don't want that to happen. But she says, I've tried over and over to break this relationship. She said, I can't. She said, I had a... My 11-year-old daughter died a couple years ago. And I came to work, and the man at work that I work with, he had had a similar experience. His daughter had died just shortly before. We had something in common. He sympathized with me, and I shared with him uh, some of my heart. You know, there's a reason why Ellen White says we should go to, women should go to women counselors and men to men. Because when we share what's in our heart, there's a bond that is formed, isn't there? And so there was there. Now, she never intended for anything to happen, but as time went on, day after day, that bond grew closer and closer until they did things they never dreamed they would do. I'll tell you, dear friends, all of us will end up doing things we never dreamed we would do if sin takes a hold, won't we? All of us will. I remember Dwight L. Moody was walking down the road one time and there was a drunk in the gutter and someone pointed him out to him. He said, There but by the grace of God lay I. I want to tell you, friends, as we look at the sinner, except by the grace of God, that's right where we are are ourselves, isn't it? But uh, she said, I've tried and tried to quit. And she said, he's married and he wants to quit too. He's gone to his priest. Is there any hope? Dear friend, is there any hope for someone who wants to quit sinning? You know, sad to say today, there are many people who say, oh, don't worry about it, just keep on. God understands you can't quit sinning, just keep on sinning. Now, they may not say that in adultery, but they say it with a lot of other sins, and if it's with that, it would be with any sin. How do you say that some sins are bad and some sins are good? You know, that's what some people want to say. These sins, well, maybe God has power to overcome these sins, but these other sins, they're not so bad, and you can't overcome them anyway. There's a whole lot of people today that are saying that you can't overcome sin. And therefore they say, don't worry about it, because uh, God, God won't worry about those sins. God died, and, and He's merciful, and, and uh, He will overlook those sins. Now, can you imagine how wonderful that would be to the husband to go and say, listen, your wife is committing adultery and running out on you, but don't worry about it, God doesn't care about it. She can go on and continue doing that. That wouldn't be very good news for her husband, would it? Listen, it's not very good news for her either because she wants to quit. Thank the Lord. Now, what I want to look at tonight is how can those quit who want to quit? If if people don't want to quit, there's not much hope except there is hope. We can ask God if we're willing. We can ask God to make us willing for Him to help us quit, can't we? We can ask Him to change our our hearts, to change our desires. That's called conversion, of course. We could spend a whole evening on conversion. None of us want to quit sinning by nature. But God can help us to want to quit if we're willing to ask Him in sincerity. But you know, there came a time when Paul had had that much of a conversion experience over in Romans 7... He wanted to quit very badly. Now the unconverted man, he doesn't want to quit. The man who's totally unconverted, he's happy in his sins. Paul said, there was a time when I didn't even know I was a sinner. But then when the Holy Spirit came, my eyes were enlightened. I saw the law and I saw that I was a sinner. The law said, thou shalt not covet. And I found that I was a covetous man. And so he said, when the law came, sin revived and I died. Now, Paul was touched with the Holy Spirit. He had a type of conversion because he came to the place where he abhorred sin. Now, dear friend, that is not natural to abhor sin. That is the work of, of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of grace to abhor sin. Paul came to the place where he abhorred sin. But he couldn't quit sinning. And he says, I find then another law in my body. That when I want to do what's right, I can't do what I want to do. Instead, I end up doing what I don't want to do. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans 7? Now, you know what some people say. Well, I guess if I really want to do what's right, but I can't do it, well, then it's okay. Okay. That's what Desmond Ford said. That's what a lot of other people are saying. But that's not what Paul said. Paul recognized whether he wanted to do what's right or not, if he he continued to sin, he was a lost man. It was just the chapter before where he says the wages of sin is death. So he closes the chapter by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? This body that is going to, to die because, it's, because it is committing sins. Oh, thank God that, the, that Romans doesn't end with Romans 7. I have heard preachers, I think sacrilegiously, preach sermons on Romans 7 and end with verse 24. I heard a well known Adventist preacher. I was listening to him on the radio, and he preached this, end up with verse 24, and he challenged all those, quote, perfectionists, legalists, who think that they can keep the law of God. You think you can do better than Paul? But Paul asked the question here. He gives the answer in chapter 8. How can someone read Romans 7 and not read Romans 8? I don't know. And call themselves theologians. They're certainly not theologians. They're not even any kind of a Bible student. You don't ask the question without reading the answer, do you? The answer comes in chapter 8. The doctrine that we can go on enjoying sin and have heaven too is a doctrine that comes straight from Satan. There's a saying, I suppose it probably came from England, I don't know, but I've heard it in America, and maybe it's over here too. You can't have your pie and eat it too. You can't can't enjoy your sins and get to heaven too, can you? It's one or the other. Either we're going to enjoy heaven or we're going to try to, at least, enjoy our sins here on earth, but we can't do both. I read over here in, in 1 John 3, John makes this crystal clear. He says in verse 6, Whoever abides in Him does not sin. I'm reading from the New King James. I've grown up with the King James. I like the King James best. I've just started using this for evangelism purpose and I always forget to walk up here with the old. But anyway, it's almost the same except for a few words. So follow with me, if you will. I'm not trying to promote any different version. But he says, whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him or known Him. We don't know God, at least not... We don't really know Him inside of our heart if we're continuing to sin. Because God will not abide in a heart where sin reigns. Well, he? we don't know Jesus unless He's within. You, You know, I know who Margaret Thatcher is, and I know who Ronald Reagan is. I know who a lot of other people are, but I don't know any of them. I don't really know them. There's a lot of people who know who Jesus is, but they don't know Him. The Bible says those who sin do not know Him because He's never come to live with them yet. Verse 7 says, little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices, or the old King James says, doeth. He who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who is righteous... Now, you know, this is so simple. It's so simple that even the kindergarten child can understand it. It's too simple for the theologians. That's the problem. It's so simple, it simply says, the one who does righteousness is the one who's righteous. Now, why does the Bible need to tell us that? Because the Bible knew, God knew, that there were some very subtle deceptions that Satan was going to bring into the world. Some crazy deceptions that said that righteousness has nothing to do with being righteous. Now, how could anyone fall for some crazy philosophy like that? And yet, the whole world has fallen for it. People put it in such fancy jargon, such nice words. But the Bible makes it so crystal clear, it is he who practices righteousness that's righteous. That's so simple. It's like falling off a log. Anyone can understand this. It is he who practices righteousness that is righteous. He who sins, it says in the next verse, is not righteous, he is of the devil. Oh. I tell you, the Bible speaks awful plainly sometimes, doesn't it? It doesn't want us to get mixed up. I'm afraid if we got up, unless the Bible had said, it and we said something like this, someone would really think we're speaking awful harshly. But the Bible simply tells the truth: Those who sin are of the devil. Those who are doing what is right are righteous. It does not say that those who are somehow accounted righteous in heaven are righteous, even though they are going on sinning on earth, no, no. It is those who are doing what is right that are righteous. Isn't that simple? And that's what the Bible teaches. But I want you to notice this, it says, don't let anyone deceive you on this. You know when the Bible gives a warning, it gives it for a purpose. The reason the Bible warns us not to be deceived on this is because there will be a deception on this. That's simply the reason. Again, the Bible is so simple. It tells us not to be deceived if there's going to be a deception. I tell you, this is the first great deception that Satan brought in the Christian church. That's why John was dealing with it. It was already here in his day. And it pervaded Christianity. After Protestantism arose, it was quelled for a while, but soon it came back into Protestantism. Just like it had been in Catholicism. In Catholicism, you know, if you went and killed a Huguenot... Well, you could commit all the sins in the world, but you are still righteous. Martin Luther says, no, that's not right. But soon the church became worldly and liberal again, and we needed a new religion that would allow people to go on with their worldly lusts and desires and practices and still get into heaven, or at least think they were. But the Lord raised up. John and Charles Wesley, and they came out and brought us back to the fact that if you're going to be righteous, you have to do what's right. It's so simple. But that soon faded, and finally God raised up a whole church to give this message to the world. We find over here in Revelation 12. Verse 17, The dragon was enraged with the woman who went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God those who keep God's commandments. These are called the saints over in chapter 14. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God, not those who have somehow think they're righteous while they're going on sinning. You know, the Bible talks about those people over here in, in, in Matthew 7. This is talking about Seventh-day Adventists and everybody else who is who thinks that you can get to heaven while breaking the law. It says, Not everyone, in verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But it is he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. This is Jesus speaking. These are Christians. And these are the Christians in the last days when Jesus comes who believe that they're his children. They're looking to him and they're saying, Lord, Lord, we're yours. But he says in verse 23, Then I will sadly declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And now I'm reading the literal Greek. Here's one place where the King James didn't quite translate it literally. The word is "anomian" in the Greek. You who didn't keep the law. The New King James translated You who practiced lawlessness. You who didn't keep the law. You who thought that you could get to heaven without keeping the law. The Bible says that those who are saints when Jesus comes are going to be those who keep the law. Those who have found victory. It says in Revelation 3 that those who overcome I will allow to sit with me on my throne even as I have also overcome and have sat with my Father on His throne. Now uh, the devil knows that all he has to do to keep us out of heaven is to cause us to break the law. It amazes me. It amazes me every day that we have to preach this to Adventist congregations. How did that's what we that's what this church was founded on was that if we're going to get to heaven we have to keep the law. How did we ever get to the place? In the Seventh day Adventist Church, where keeping the law doesn't really matter anymore. Where whether you do what is right and whether doing what is right has nothing to do with salvation anymore. Oh, dear friend, we can't earn salvation. It was earned by Jesus Christ. We can't do a single thing to pay for a sin or, nor do we have the power to overcome. But I want to tell you the free gift is only given on condition that we, that we do overcome. Although overcoming doesn't earn our salvation, it's only given on condition that we are born again. 1 John 2, verse 29 says that to be born again means that we do what is right. That's the meaning of being born again. Desire of Ages, page 24. It says, Satan represents God's law as a law of selfishness. He declares that it is impossible for us to obey its precepts. Who declares that? Dear friends, Satan declares that. I don't care who is saying it. That's Satan's doctrine. And every preacher on this planet that preaches that doctrine, I don't care if they're Seventh-day Adventist, Lutheran, Catholic, I don't care what they are. Every preacher that preaches that you can't overcome sin is preaching the doctrine of Satan, whether they know it or not. It is Satan who declares that we can't overcome sin. Listen, dear friend, it's time that we quit supporting falsehood within God's remnant church. Time we raise our voice and say we are not going to allow Satan's doctrine to be preached from our pulpits anymore. We're not going to support that kind of thing. We're going to be loyal and faithful Seventh-day Adventists. We're not going to allow heresy and the doctrine of Satan to to be preached. It's time that we pray for a cleansing and a revival. And a return to true godliness in the church, dear friends. The preaching of the Word of God. It's time, as as Ellen White so often quoted from the Psalms, as David was burdened with, it's time for thee to work, O Lord. They have made void thy law. It's time to pray that prayer again. Well, is there power to overcome sin? Dear friend, we must overcome sin. I read in Review and Herald, August 19, 1890, this statement by Ellen White. Those who would be saints in heaven must first be saints upon the earth. For when we leave this earth, we shall take our characters with us. Where is it that our characters must be developed? They must be developed here. Do we have to overcome sin? No, we don't have to overcome sin. But dear friend, the penalty for sinning is still the same as it was in Paul's day. It's death. If we want to get to heaven, if we want to have eternal life, we must overcome sin. Oh, but somebody says, how? How do we do it? That's what I want to look at over the next several minutes. I want to look at the five steps necessary to overcome sin. You might like to take some notes on these five steps. How is it that we can realize this wonderful experience of victory over sin. Now, I'm not talking about an experience where we're no longer tempted or where we can't fall anymore. Listen, dear friends. Even Jesus was tempted. In fact, He was tempted more than any of us, wasn't He? And we draw near to Jesus... We still have our fallen nature that is, has the same clamors and weaknesses that we, that we have now. But we have a, a new spirit working within us. It's the Holy Spirit. And He gives us power to crucify the lust of the flesh so that we can live not according to our natural desires, but according to the desire of God according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We'll never come to the place where we can say, I am saved. No, we have to, as Paul says, forgetting those things which are beyond, we press forward towards the mark. Dear friend, I'm not talking about coming to the place where we have some kind of holy flesh, where we're not tempted anymore. But dear friend, what I want to know is, how do... How can we overcome the sins that are holding us in the chains of uh, in in chains, or holding us as masters of us, whom we yield ourselves servants to obey? What does the Bible say? Those we are His servants to whom we obey. If we obey sin, we're the servants of sin. Jesus said in John eight verse thirty four to thirty six, "If we sin, we are the what? The slaves of sin." And does a slave abide in the house forever? No, a slave doesn't abide in God's house forever. But if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Dear friend, don't be afraid of being free from sin. We we are to be free from sin. God wants us to be free from sin. The Bible says if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And if we're not free from sin, dear friends, the Son hasn't made us free. We're not saved. We haven't been born again. is there some sin in your life that you just can't break like this lady who was committing adultery? Maybe it's in an area of diet or evil thoughts, lustful thoughts. Maybe it's impatience or losing one's temper. I don't know what it is. There could be a thousand things. Is there something in your life that you're struggling with? Pride, gossip, backbiting, lying, breaking the Sabbath, whatever it is. Is there something that you're struggling with? Oh, I find many people have struggled and struggled and struggled. Oh, I have good news for you, dear friends. There is victory through Jesus Christ. I want to look. That's what the Bible story is all about. I want to look at the five steps, how we can overcome sin. The first thing I'd like to look at, the first step I'd like to look at is found over here in Mark 9, verse 23. It says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who does what? Who believes. Now, if you look at the steps presented for salvation in the Bible, I don't care if you go to 2 Peter 1 where it gives the different things where you add this to this to this, or if you go wherever you go, you always find that belief or faith is the first step. Now, it's not all there is, but that's the first step. That's the gate to heaven. That's the gate you walk through. You have to believe. That's where you start. If you start down that road and you keep on that road, you're going to be saved. Belief is the first step. I was at Andrews in the seminary years ago, an old seminary, retired seminary professor who had, who had championed the doctrine that you, we can't overcome before Ford ever started. Maybe it's where Ford got it from, I don't know. He's written books, and been a great teacher. He must have been 70-some years old then, almost 80, I don't remember. But he got up there and he started sharing how that we don't have to overcome sin. All we have to do is believe. Well, I don't know what kind of belief that is, but his belief was you just believe that Jesus has done it all for you and then you don't have to do it yourself. Well, you know, the Bible says even the devils believe and tremble. Trouble is, he wasn't trembling. But he made this Brash statement at the end. He said, listen, he said, if I haven't been able to overcome sin in my 78 years, whatever it was, I didn't wasn't taking notes, I was just listening. I don't remember the exact, but 70, whatever it was, if I haven't been able to overcome sin all my years, how do you young people think that you're going to do it in just a short time? He said, I say it's impossible. Well... It was impossible. He couldn't have overcome sin if he lived to be 900 years old. In fact, even if he should get to heaven in his present state, he couldn't have overcome sin in 9 million years. Because, dear friends, you can't overcome sin unless you believe that it's possible. And belief is not something that is based on what you've experienced. That's not faith at all. Faith is based upon the Word of God. This man that came to Jesus for the healing of his son, he said, listen, if you can heal him, please do something. Jesus said, well, I, I could do it if you could believe. Dear friend, belief is that thing which you believe that you have never seen done before, but you believe it because God says, because God says it, and you believe Him. Now, you may have struggled with sins for 50, 60, 70 years, however old you are. You may have struggled with sin, never been able to overcome. Dear friend, belief is not based upon your failures. It's based upon the Word of God. You'll never overcome sin looking to your past failures. You'll only overcome sin by looking to God and believing in His Word. But you'll never do it unless you believe that God has the power to do it. Without faith it is impossible to please God, Paul tells us in Romans 11, uh, Hebrews 11. Without faith it is impossible to overcome sin. So all these new theologians who are going around saying you can't overcome sin, you can't overcome sin, I say you're right on, brethren, you can't do it because you don't believe you can do it. You'll never be able to do it. But they're lost just the same. Well, belief is the first step, but it doesn't end there. No, the Bible gives us some other steps. If you're taking notes, let's go on to step number two. Step number two, I don't know if this is the right order. Maybe I have two and three turned around. I probably do, but it just happens to be the way I jotted them down, so it isn't the particular order the Bible gives. It doesn't say one, two, and three, except for number one is number one. The Bible tells us that. Well, for number two, we've got to study the Bible. The spirit of prophecy. There's power in the word of God. Paul, uh, David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against him. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he said, It is written. And through that word, the devil was, was chased away and he overcame. Dear friend, there is power in God's word. There is all the power here today. There was at the creation of the world as it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, that, or 4, that He spoke, and the light shone out of darkness. It's referring to the first day of creation. It applies it to the Christian life, how God speaks and light shines out of darkness today, just like it did back there at creation. Dear friend, what made that light to shine back there on the first day of creation? It was the Word of God, as it says in Psalms 33, He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And dear friend, that word has all the power today it had there in creation. By the word of the Lord. And that word is right here. Jesus said, unless you feed, in John 6, unless you feed upon this word, unless you chew my body, it says in the Greek, unless you masticate it, unless you chew it up and digest it, unless it becomes a part of you, you don't have any life in yourself. Dear friend, we've got to go beyond just believing. If we believe, that belief has got to lead us on to studying the Word of God and, a, and claiming those promises. If you have your Bibles, look with me over here at 2 Peter 2, 1, verse 4. You ought to have this. We ought to have this, this verse in our minds because it is a key to overcoming sin. It says, "...by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises." Promises. Where do you find the Promises. Oh, dear friend, they're found in the Bible. They're found in the spirit of prophecy by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Dear friend, it's through the promises, the Bible says. Jesus himself quoted the Bible to find victory over sin. Well, step number three is prayer. Turn with me over to Matthew twenty six forty one. Jesus was counseling his disciples here. He says, watch and what? And pray. Step number three is that we must pray. You know, as Christians, we all know that we've got to pray. But I came to a startling realization some years ago. While I was getting up first thing every morning, I bowed my head in prayer last thing every night. And before I ate any food, Two times a day, I bowed my head in prayer, but I came to realize that I was going through a lot of ritual, but I wasn't doing much praying. I like to challenge you sometime to look at your watch when you kneel down to pray and look at it when you get up. You might be surprised how that second hand quits moving while you're praying. Two minutes is often a long time for those who have been Christians for many years. You know, a young boy or young girl calls up their boyfriend or girlfriend why two minutes is no time at all. Because they have a budding little appreciation for the other person. Now, dear friend, as our appreciation and love grows for God, that time is going to increase in prayer. But somebody says, how do we pray? That's what the disciples said, and Luke 11, Lord teach us to pray. We don't know how to pray, but we notice when you pray, things happen. Jesus began to teach them to pray. One of the first principles he taught them to pray in verse 8 is that we have to persist in prayer. I've learned that we learn to pray by praying, just like you learn to swim by swimming. When I finally realized I didn't know how to pray, I began to set aside an hour every morning just for prayer. And I thought, what in the world do I do for an hour in prayer? But listen, I stayed there for an hour in prayer morning after morning after morning until I learned how to pray by God's grace. But the Bible opened before me. But you'll never have that time to learn to pray unless you set it aside. You got to plan it in your schedule. You know, it's an amazing thing the way time works. For some reason, you can't get up five minutes before work and have 20 minutes to pray. Just the way time goes, you know. And Satan so arranges things that once we miss prayer in the morning, he so fills up our time that we never find time to put it in. That's his plan. Listen, it's worth, worth the devil's plan just to invent things, just to keep up five minutes here and five minutes here and 20 minutes here and 20 minutes and three minutes here just to fill up the day. Listen, he's got... His whole work is to keep us to, from being saved. If it's a matter of losing a little boat while you're working on an engine or can't, not being able to find something that you're trying to, uh, you know, uh, spilling something in the kitchen floor that takes you five minutes to clean up or whatever, it doesn't matter. Satan can bring things all day long that can just keep you doing things so you don't have time with the Lord. And he'll do it if you don't, if you don't spend time with God the first thing. And so Jesus says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Desire of Ages, page 688. Ellen White comments upon the disciples' failure when they all fled from Jesus, especially Peter. And it says... They had prayed as they heard the strong cries of the sufferer. Jesus asked them to pray, and they, they did what He told them to do. At least they tried to, and they did it for a little while. They had prayed as they heard the strong cries of the sufferer. But they did, they did not intend to forsake their Lord, but they seemed paralyzed by a stupor which they might have shaken off if they had continued pleading with God. They did not realize the necessity of watchfulness and earnest prayer in order to... To withstand temptation. There was a death-like stupor that came over them. They couldn't hold their eyes open it just kept, came over them. <laughs> Have you ever heard of people saying that, you know, when they start reading the Bible, they just get sleepy? When they start praying, they just get sleepy? That's what happened to the disciples. You know what else happened to them? Peter denied the Lord and they all forsook Him and fled. Dear friends, if we will persist with all our might, we can overcome that stupor. That is, if we don't wait till eleven, twelve o'clock at night. If we get our sleep and get up in the morning and eat right so we're not t- stuffed, you know, getting our exercise and all. You can do everything though and still get sleepy because Satan will bring it, but if you persist and are determined to make God's Word the first and ask the Holy Spirit to come and enlighten your mind, you can overcome that sleepiness. Well, we've looked at three steps, and there's two more. There's a lot of people who say there's just two steps. That's all there is. You read the Bible and you pray. You know, that's a big philosophy here. It's gone all around the church now. Last few years. Venden has championed that philosophy. And I, I love Maury Venden. But this has become a very popular teaching. If you will read the Bible and pray, God will do everything else. Well, I say, no, you gotta believe. Okay, let's throw that in. So there's three things: believe, read, and pray. Well, that's more than most are saying, but Nevertheless, let's give them, let's, let's go one step farther. Dear friend, you can believe and you can read and you can pray and you can pray and read and believe all your life and you're going to be lost unless you go to the next two steps. Somebody says, how can there be any other steps but that? Once I've done that, God has to take over and God does everything else. If I do anything after that, that's works. Let me read you something here in Steps to Christ, page 47, right at the bottom of the page. It says, Desires for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go, but if you stop here, they will avail nothing. Many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians. Now, the next sentence does not say that they don't read the Bible and pray. That's not the point. They do not come to the point of yielding the will to God. They do not now choose to be Christians. Dear friend, the next step is that you must surrender. Reading the Bible, you can read all your life and you can pray all your life. But beyond that, sometime you have to come to the place where you crucify the flesh and you surrender your will totally to the Lord. You know, the priests and Pharisees, they prayed... And they studied, and they memorized all their life, but they crucified the Son of God. I read here in page 47, many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power of the... Uh, In the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends upon the right action of the will. The power to choose God has been given to men, it is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve Him. I want to tell you, this is another great doctrine that is keeping people, that is causing people to be eluded and thinking they're saved when they're actually lost. You can read the Bible all you want to read the Bible, dear friends. You'll never be saved if you don't. But, dear friend, after and above and beyond that, you've got to come to the place where you choose to serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that the first and great commandment, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I read here in Desire of Ages, page 477, In the work of redemption there is no compulsion, no external force is employed. Under the influence of the Spirit of God, man is left free to choose whom he will serve. In the change that takes place when the soul surrenders to God, there is in the highest sense of freedom, the expulsion of sin is the act of the soul itself. God does not crucify your flesh. He'll give you the power to do it. Now, somebody might think the surrender comes first. No, you can't surrender of yourself. You have no power. The first step is to come to God just as you are. Don't wait to get any better. If you wait to get better before you come to the Lord, you'll wait all your life. You will never come. You have no power in yourself whatsoever to make yourself better. You have to come just as you are and get down on your knees and open the Bible, believe and surrender. The first three steps, dear friend, is to believe and to read and to pray. Unless you do that, you will never be able to surrender. But dear friend, after you do that, you must go on to the next step, which is to surrender. You know, let me finish reading this statement on page 466. We have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control, but when we desire to be set free from sin and our great need cry out for a power out of and above ourselves, the powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit and they obey the dictates of the will and fulfilling the will of God. I'd like to... Our time is about up. But I'd like to just challenge your thinking on one little thing here. I'd like to first ask a question. Why did Judas choose to follow Jesus? Let me read it from The Desire of Ages, page 717. He loved the great teacher and desired to be with Him. Did Judas love Jesus? Dear friend, I read under inspiration. It says he loved the great teacher. Isn't that interesting? And he desired to be with Him. He felt a desire to be changed in character and life, and he hoped to experience this through connecting himself with Jesus. What did Judas want? He wanted a change of heart. Did you know that before? That's in Desire of Ages, page 717. He desired a change of heart. Now you know there's many people who have somehow been deluded into thinking as long as they want a change of heart and spend time with Jesus that somehow the change will come. And they're waiting in vain. There is a whole multitude of precious Seventh-day Adventist people that are being led down the road to hell thinking they're saved because they're spending time with Jesus every day. You know why Judas wasn't saved? It wasn't because he didn't spend time with Jesus. He spent he spent all day with Jesus, every day. Day after day, he was with Jesus all day long. He was listening to the words right straight from his mouth. We have to read it in the Bible, but he listened to he he himself speak the words. He went with him, he traveled with him, he lived with him, he ate and drank with him, he slept with him. Everything he was right there and he wanted to be changed. What more can you ask? But there is one thing he didn't do, dear friends. It says that Jesus endowed him with power to heal the sick and cast out devils. He even had power to work miracles. Judas did. But, oh, you know, that changes the whole thing when you find that little word, B-U-T, but, but. Judas did not come to the point of surrendering himself fully to Christ. Dear friend, is there something that we have to do beyond just studying the Bible and praying? And we're not going to have any power if we don't. But I want to tell you, dear friend, we have got to go beyond studying the Bible and beyond praying, we've got to come to the point where we surrender fully to the Lord Jesus Christ, where we give up the sins of our life. One sin, persistently cherished, will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. Now, I know I've gone a little over, but permit me, because we're dealing with things of eternal life here, to read a couple of quotations here from The Desire of Age, uh, from Review and Herald, April 1, 1890. The pleasing fable that all there is to do is to believe has destroyed thousands. You mean you can be destroyed by thinking that all you have to do is believe? It's destroyed thousands. It's doing it today. It's doing it in the Adventist church because they call that faith which is not faith but simply a dogma. Man is an intelligent, accountable being He is not to be carried about as a passive burden by the Lord, but is to work in harmony with Christ. Man is to take up his appointed work in striving for glory, honor, and immortality. God calls upon men for the use of every talent He has lent them, the exercise of every power He has given. For man can never be saved in indolence and disobedience. On April 8th, the next week, she continues on. She says they must have indomitable energy if they want to be saved. Now, we don't have it. God will give it to us, though. As they see their defects, they should seek the aid of the Spirit of God to enable them to have moral strength to resist the temptations of Satan and to reach the perfection of the standard. Well, I could read more. Now, dear friends, I want you to note that there is, there is a work for you and I to do same work that Jesus had to do as, as recorded in Isaiah 7:15, 14 and 15. We have to refuse to do what's right, wrong and choose to do what's right. We have to, after we've received power from God, we have to stand up and say, "By God's grace, I am going to refuse to sin. I'm going to choose to do what's right, because God's not going to do it for you, dear friends. Oh, I wish I had an hour on this one topic. I could tell you story after story. Ellen White one time was asked to pray for a man. He was paralyzed. She says, No, I must seek the Lord first. It was an anointing they wanted her to do. And so she sought the Lord, and the Lord showed her in vision. She says, he said, No, don't anoint this man, because I can't help him. What? You can't help him? No, I can't help him. Why not? Well, his problem was self abuse. Masturbation is what they call it today. And um, he was fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And he knew it was wrong, and he tried to overcome. He had asked the Lord, he had pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him. He had read, and he had gone out into the forest and fasted and prayed for days. And the Lord showed Ellen White in vision. The Lord had never taken that away from him because God had given him the power to quit and he did not choose to hump he did not choose to resist the temptation himself. He was waiting for God to do it for him and he would not do it for him. Listen dear friend, God's not going to do it for you either. He'll give you the power. But you've got to make the choice. Now, I wish I could quit there, but there is a fifth. There is a fifth. You say, What can there be after that? Is there any more? Yes, there is one more step to salvation. The fifth is that we must develop a character like Jesus. After surrendering, there is a day by day process of character development. Let's just refer to a few texts for the sake of time. Remember in John 15, the first eight verses, how Jesus says, If the vine abide in me and I in him, it will bear fruit. The branch that does not bear fruit, what happens to it? It is cut off and cast into the fire. But if it bears fruit, my Father will prune it so that it bears more fruit. Dear friend, all through the Bible, every parable, the Bible is a parable of work. When it comes to, I mean, not everyone, but many of them, such as the two sons, one was asked to go to the field and work. He says... I'll go, but he didn't go. Was he saved? No, he was lost. We have the vineyard workers, where some were called in the morning, some at mid-morning, some at noon, and on through the day. They were called to work. Dear friends, we are called to produce fruit, to produce character fruit, as well as souls. The Bible says, this is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And God wants to develop within you and I the character of Jesus Christ. It's not something that comes automatically as soon as we surrender. It is a lifelong process. Now, dear friend, if we have surrendered fully to the Lord Jesus Christ and sought Him in prayer and Bible study and believe, so that we have His power, we are saved at that moment. Not for the future, but we're saved for the moment. But, dear friend, at that moment we have to continue to grow day by day by day and we, are only, we only remain saved as we continue to grow like Jesus. Now, I want you to read a most startling text with me over in Hebrews. I want to ask you a question first. Did Jesus ever commit a sin? No, He never committed a sin. Well, then tell me what this means because he didn't commit sin, not even by a thought did he yield to sin. But listen to this. Verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews 5, it says, Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Dear friend, what does that mean? Dear friend, Jesus' character had to be developed. He had to be perfected himself, and you and I have to be perfected. Dear friend, salvation goes far beyond just not sinning. It involves becoming like Jesus. It doesn't involve just not stealing. It means giving to the poor. It doesn't mean just not swearing. It means praising God. It doesn't mean just not hating the eni- our enemies. It means loving them. God is not in the process of saving sinless people only. He is in the process of saving righteous people. The rocks down the road don't sin, but God's not going to save them. Not sinning is just the very first step of salvation. After we yield and surrender our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ, we must develop our character day by day by day. And what does it mean to develop our character? It means to become like Jesus, it means to become loving like Jesus is. A couple of texts we, we just must read before we close. So that I can, we realize the importance of this. Look with me over at Luke 11, verses 24 to 26. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, this is a man who surrendered his sins to Jesus. And God has given him the power. This is the man that did the first four things. He believed, he studied, he prayed, and he surrendered. And the evil spirits were gone. He was cleansed from sin. Here's a man who was cleansed from sin. The spirit was gone. If you continue to sin, the spirit doesn't go. But this man, the unclean spirit, had left him by the power of God. the unclean spirit goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. He comes and finds it swept and put in order. The sins were gone, dear friend, but his character hadn't been developed. And what did he do? Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. The spirit said, I got cast out last time. I saw I wasn't strong enough. But I tell you, it's not going to happen again. I'm bringing with me seven times more spirits that are worse than me. And we're going to, we're not, I'm not losing my home again. You know, someone breaks in your home once. You don't just fix the lock. You put up a better lock, don't you? You make it more secure. Someone gets past the burglar alarm. They don't just fix the burglar alarm. They put in a better burglar alarm. Said, this isn't going to happen again. This one wasn't good enough. Now, here is the interesting question God is in the process of helping you do this. We don't have to do it ourselves. How does He do it? Oh, turn with me to the exciting answer over in James 1, verses 2 to 4. James 1, verses 2 to 4. It says, and here's the answer, dear friends. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into trials. Say, dear friend, did you know that the trials that you suffer, if you've gone all these first steps and you surrender yourself to the Lord is God's way of getting you ready for heaven and you're to rejoice. You know, that's one of the hardest things in the Bible to actually do. That's what the Bible says and I think that we should do what the Bible says, don't you? We're not to call trials upon ourselves but the Bible says when they come, it says rejoice. Count it all joy knowing that the test of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete wanting Nothing. One of the best chapters I know, in fact, the best chapter I know in the spirit of prophecy for discouragement is a chapter in Ministry of Healing, fourth from the last chapter, called Help in Daily Living. She talks about how that many people get discouraged because after they surrender themselves to the Lord, they find that they have more trials than ever before. In fact, she says, they pray for Christlikeness of character. She says they find... Uh, they are surprised and disappointed to find themselves as never before confronted by obstacles and beset by trials and perplexities. They pray for Christ-likeness of character, for a fitness for the Lord's work, and they are placed in circumstances that seem to call forth all the evil of their nature, faults or reveal of which they didn't even suspect existence. <laughs> they said, here I'm trying to do good, and I'm worse than I ever was before. You ever tried that? Had that experience? You yield to the Lord, and all of a sudden... You're losing your temper and you didn't lose it before, like that. Of course, you didn't have these same things happen. Somebody got you just the wrong place. And they wonder, why? Why, why is this happening to me? You want to know why? It says it is because God is leading them that these things come upon them. Interesting. Trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods of discipline and His appointed conditions of success. Oh, I wish I could continue to read this. Often He permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they may be purified. Ministry of Healing, pages 470 and 471. Well, Dear friend, if you will put yourself into the school of Jesus, He will bring you forth more than Victor. But you know, He does it just like we do our school children. Here in England, when children go to school, I'm sure they do the same as they do in America. They learn math by having problems. Isn't that right? You know how Jesus teaches us character growth? By giving us problems. It's that simple. And so God allows some problems to come into our life where we have to look away from self to Him. Man's extremity is God's opportunity, it says in Acts Apostles 147. Sometimes God brings us to the Red Sea where there's mountains on either side and the enemy behind us and the Red Sea before us. And we say, God, I'm done for. But that's when our faith increases. We have to look to the Lord. It either increases or we fail. Dear friend, God died that we might be in heaven. That's His greatest desire. He will do anything to see that we are saved. If we will put ourselves in His hands, He has never lost a student yet, and He won't lose us. So the Bible says, When you find yourself, when you find yourself beset by trials, rejoice and count it all joy. I challenge you, dear friends, the next time you are tried to the utmost, by faith, Say, Lord, thank you. By faith, rejoice. And you will find perplexities vanish in a plain path before your feet. You'll find God working your life as never before. Well, I hope that we have learned simply the simple steps of salvation. Let's review them. In school, you know, we try to review things so we have them down. We're not here just to be entertained. I want, I want us to apply these things. Let's learn them. What are the five steps? What was the first step we learned tonight? We must believe. What's the second one? We must study the Bible. What was the third one? Pray. The fourth one? We must surrender it all. What's the fifth one? We must develop the character. Our character. We do that by rejoicing under trial and by following Jesus every step as He leads. Now, you know, dear friend, as you look at these these five steps, I want to ask you are, you, are you taking every step? You have to take them all. You can't leave a single one out. Is there a step that you haven't taken yet? Is there something you haven't surrendered? Are you spending time in Bible study and prayer? I'm not asking you to... Take all the steps tonight, but I'd like you to look at these five steps and see which one that you're not doing. Maybe you don't even believe, but it's time that you do. I'd like to ask you, if there's one that you're not taking, I'd like to have you invite you to make a commitment that you're going to make a change in your life starting tonight. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't do it tonight, when are you going to do it? There's no better time. The end is drawing nigh Soon Jesus is going to be here. The signs all foretell that He's coming as soon. I wonder tonight, I'd like to give you just a couple seconds in silent meditation for you to consider within yourself if there's one of these that you are not doing, studying your Bible every day faithfully and the spirit of prophecy, praying Not just for 5 seconds, but for 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour, whatever it is, daily. If there is some sin that you haven't surrendered, or whether you are not allowing your character to be developed through the trials that God sends, if you are not going on in character perfection day by day like Jesus did, is there one? Think it over. Now as you think, if you think of one I'm going to be a salesman here because Jesus wants me to be. I'm going to simply give a sales pitch and ask you for him to make a change in your life and to start doing what you're not doing whatever step it is. I wonder tonight how many would like to signify that They are going to, by God's grace, make that change in their life, whatever it is, if there's one that you have. Would you like to stand with me if there's one? Now, you know, our promises are like ropes of sand. You may decide you're going to be reading the Bible every day. You're going to turn over a new leaf. But unless God helps you, that promise won't be kept very well, will it? So I'd like to ask God to help you in this. Why don't we kneel and ask Him? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are here to be saved, to be made instruments of Your grace, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have dealt with the simple steps of salvation tonight. Lord, I hope, I pray that it's been made plain, that we understand. Because it's the most important science of all the earth, of all the universe. That's the science of salvation. Now, Lord, we all want to be saved. And there's various steps, though, that many of us aren't doing. But tonight, we have looked over and found the weakest part of that link, the weakest link in the chain, and we've made commitments to change. Some of us may have some things in our life we haven't surrendered. Maybe some habits, some eating habits that we know we should surrender, some habits of lust. Or whatever other habit it is. Maybe there's some who haven't surrendered to the Sabbath yet. There might be some who just aren't spending much time in prayer. Just a ritual, every morning and night before the eat, but no real time in serious soul-searching prayer, and intercession with a father. Maybe there's some who have studied the Sabbath school lesson for years and have read the morning watch, but have never really studied the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, and are going to start setting aside that hour a day for your word. Get down with their knees and open the Bible and really search its pages. Oh Lord, we want to do these things, and yet the devil is determined that we won't. He's a lot stronger than we are. And so we're coming to you and we're asking you to help us keep these commitments because you're stronger than the devil. And you're stronger than our weak, fallen natures. And though our promises are worthless if we have to try to keep them, yet, Lord, we know that if we commit ourselves to you, that you are faithful and just and can fulfill those things that we have given and committed to you. So, Lord, as we surrender these things to you and as we seek to cooperate with you, I pray that henceforth that our lives might be new, that we might be changed, and that we, when you come, we will not be disappointed, that we can look up. And with Job, say, I've been tried, but now I've come forth as gold refined in the fire. Lord, I commit each soul here to you now, For your care and keeping until that glorious day, which we believe will be soon, may not one be missing. In Jesus' name, amen.